We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons Welcome, everyone, to the Womance Public Access Read-Along, this time of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, in which we read a chapter of Pride and Prejudice to each other, and then we talk about it. My name is Morgan, and I am your odd chapter reader. And my name is Isabeau, and I'm your even chapter reader. Um, And this week is chapter 23, so I will be doing the reading, and Isabeau will be doing the reminding of what happened in chapter 22. Chapter 22 is a heartbreak. We learn that Miss Charlotte Lucas has decided to accept uh, Mr. Collins's proposal of marriage, and then we're left with both Charlotte's feels and Elizabeth's feels, which are none too fun. Elizabeth is embarrassed for Charlotte and for herself, and Charlotte uh, understands that the stakes of not being married are too high to bear. And then her parents are super stoked to think about when Mr. Bennett's gonna die and they'll be able to visit their daughter at Longbourn. All right, yeah, lame. And that's where we we pick back up. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we begin chapter 23. Chapter 23. Elizabeth was sitting with her mother and sisters, reflecting on what she had heard and doubting whether she authorized to mention she were authorized to mention it when sir william lucas himself appeared sent by his daughter to announce her engagement to the family with many compliments to them and much self-gratulation on the prospect of a connection between the houses he unfolded the matter to an audience not merely wondering but incredulous for mrs bennett with more perseverance than politeness protested he must be entirely mistaken and lydia always unguarded and often uncivil, boisterously exclaimed, "'Good Lord, Sir William, how can you tell such a story? Do not you know that Mr. Collins wants to marry Lizzie?' Nothing less than the complacence of a courtier would have 
born without anger such treatment. But Sir William's good breeding carried him through it all. And though he begged leave to be positive as to the truth of his information, he listened to all their impertinence with the most forbearing courtesy. Elizabeth, feeling it incumbent on her to relieve him from so unpleasant a situation, now put herself forward to confirm his account by mentioning her prior knowledge of it from Charlotte herself, and endeavored to put a stop to the exclamations of her mother and sisters by the earnestness of her congratulations to Sir William, in which she was readily joined by Jane, and by making a variety of remarks on the happiness that might be expected from the match, the excellent character of Mr. Collins, and the convenient distance of Hunsford from London. Mrs. Bennet was in fact too much overpowered to say a great deal while Sir William remained, but no sooner had he left them than her feelings found a rapid vent. In the first place, she persisted in disbelieving the whole of the matter. Secondly, she was very sure that Mr. Collins had been taken in, Thirdly, she trusted that they would never be happy together. And fourthly, that the match might be broken off. Two inferences, however, were plainly deduced from the whole. One, that Elizabeth was the real cause of all the mischief, and the other, that she herself had been barbarously used by them all. And on these two points, she principally dwelt on the rest of the day. Nothing could console and nothing appease her. Nor did that day wear out her resentment. A week elapsed before she could see Elizabeth without scolding her, a month passed away before she could speak to Sir William or Lady Lucas without being rude, and many months were gone before she could at all forgive her daughter. Mr. Bennet's emotions were much more tranquil on the occasion, and such as he did experience he pronounced to be of a most agreeable sort, for it gratified him, he said, to discover that Charlotte Lucas, whom he had been used to think tolerably sensible, was as foolish as his wife, and more foolish than his daughter. Jane confessed herself a little surprised at the match, but she said less of her astonishment than of her earnest desire for their happiness. Nor could Elizabeth persuade her to consider it an improbable. Kitty and Lydia were far from envying Miss Lucas, for Mr. Collins was only a clergyman, and it affected them in no other way than as a piece of news to spread at Meryton. Lady Lucas could not be insensible of triumph on being able to retort on Mrs. Bennet the comfort of having a daughter well married, and she called at Longburn rather oftener than usual to say how happy she was, though Mrs. Bennet's sour looks and ill-natured remarks might have been enough to drive happiness away. Between Elizabeth and Charlotte there was a restraint which kept them mutually silent on the subject and Elizabeth felt persuaded that no real confidence could ever subsist between them again. Her disappointment in Charlotte made her turn with fonder regard to her sister, of whose rectitude and delicacy she was sure her opinion could never be shaken, and for whose happiness she grew daily more anxious, as Bingley had now been gone a week and nothing was heard of his return. Jane had sent Caroline an early answer to her letter, and was counting the days till she might reasonably hope to hear again. The promised letter of thanks from Mr. Collins arrived on Tuesday, addressed to their father, and written with all the solemnity of gratitude which a twelve-months abode <laughs> in the family might have prompted. After discharging his conscience on that head, he proceeded to inform them, with many rapturous expressions, of his happiness of having attained the affection of their amiable neighbor, Miss Lucas, and then explained that it was merely with the view of enjoying her society that he had been so ready 
to close with their kind wish of seeing him again at Longbourn, whither he hoped he be to be able to return on Monday fortnight. For Lady Catherine, he added, so heartily approved of his marriage, that she wished it to take place as soon as possible, which he trusted would be an unanswerable argument with his amiable Charlotte to name an early day for making him the happiest of men. Holy shit, that's only two weeks. <laughs> like, everybody needs a little more of a break from Mr. Collins than that. I know. I need more of a break from Mr. Collins than that, personally. I'm not looking for it. Ugh, so true. But guess what? Here he comes. <laughs> Mr. Collins's return into Hertfordshire was no longer a matter of pleasure to Mrs. Bennet. <laughs> <laughs> On the contrary, she was as much disposed to complain of it as her husband. It was very strange that he should come to Longbourn instead of to Lucas Lodge. It was also very inconvenient and exceedingly troublesome. She hated having visitors in the house while her health was so indifferent, and lovers were of all people the most disagreeable. Such were the gentle murmurs of Mrs. Bennet, and they gave way only to the greater distress of Mr. Bingley's continued absence. Neither Jane nor Elizabeth were comfortable on the subject. Day after day passed away without bringing any other tidings of him than the report which shortly prevailed in Meryton of his coming no more to Netherfield the whole winter, a report which highly incensed Mrs. Bennet, and which she never failed to contradict as a most scandalous falsehood. Even Elizabeth began to fear, not that Bingley was indifferent, but that his sisters would be successful in keeping him away. Unwilling as she was to admit to an idea so destructive of Jane's happiness and so dishonorable to the stability of her lover, she could not prevent its frequently recurring. The united efforts of his two unfeeling sisters and of his overpowering friend, assisted by the attractions of Miss Darcy and the amusements of London, might be too much, she feared, for the strength of his attachment." The word lovers is just all over this page. It's like a, it's like reading the joy of sex. <laughs> mm -hmm. As for Jane, <laughs> her anxiety under the suspense was, of course, more painful than Elizabeth's. But whatever she felt, she was desirous of concealing. And between herself and Elizabeth, therefore, the subject was never alluded to. But as no such delicacy restrained her mother, an hour seldom passed in which she did not talk of Bingley, express her impatience for his arrival, or even require Jane to confess that if he did not come back, she should think herself very ill-used. It needed all Jane's steady mildness to bear these attacks with tolerable tranquility. Mr. Collins returned most punctually on the Monday fortnight, but his reception at Longbourn was not quite so gracious as it had been on his first introduction. He was too happy, however, to need much attention, and luckily for the others, the business of love-making relieved them from a great deal of his company. The chief of every day was spent by him at Lucas Lodge, and he sometimes returned to Longbourn, only in time to make an apology for his absence before the family went to bed. I found out from a movie podcast that the term lovemaking meant flirting up until like the 1930s. And then it like the double entendre like superseded, not even like a double, but like the implied meaning. The literal verb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Superseded. Yeah. Mrs. Bennett was really in a most pitiable state. 
The very mention of anything concerning the match threw her into an agony of ill humor. (laughs) And wherever she went, she was sure of hearing it talked of. The sight of Miss Lucas was odious to her. As her successor in that house, she regarded her with jealous abhorrence. Whenever Charlotte came to see them, she concluded her to be anticipating the hour of possession, and whenever she spoke in a low voice to Mr. Collins, was convinced that they were talking of the Longbourn estate and resolving to turn herself and her daughters out of the house as soon as Mr. Bennett were dead. She complained bitterly of all this to her husband. Indeed, Mr. Bennett, said she, it is very hard to think that Charlotte Lucas should ever be mistress of this house, that I should be forced to make way for her and live to see her take my place in it. My dear, do not give away to such gloomy thoughts. Let us hope for better things. Let us flatter ourselves that I may be the survivor. (laughs) Oh, God, Mr. Bennett. This was not very consoling to Mrs. Bennett. No wonder. (laughs) And therefore, instead of making any answer, she went on as before. (laughs) I cannot bear to think that they should have all this estate. If it was not for the entail, I should not mind it. What should you not mind? I should not mind anything at all. Let us be thankful that you are preserved from a state of such insensibility. I never can be thankful, Mr. Bennet, for anything about the entail. How anyone could have the conscience to entail away an estate from one's own daughters, I cannot understand. And all for the sake of Mr. Collins, too. Why should he have it more than anybody else? I leave it to yourself to determine, said Mr. Bennett. He means a penis. That's what he means. He does. I like the implic. I like to imagine that Mrs. Bennett is thinking like... That Miss, she's so flustered that now she's trying, she wants to be mad at someone. So she's choosing to believe that Mr. Bennett has personally entailed Mm -hmm. the estate. (laughs) Like he has decided to supersede his daughters. Rather than the patrimony patrimony of British law. Yeah. 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 No, it's definitely Mr. Bennett. And like also his like, he's being so sanguine about it where he's like, yeah, if I die first, you and the girls will starve and not have a roof over your heads. Like whatevs. I'm sure you'll shuffle along. It is crazy to think about like not having autonomy over where you'll die. I guess it's not that crazy. But being like, I think whenever I met, if I if I were to imagine death as a woman in the Regency, I would picture like dying in the home where I raised my children. And that's just simply not the case. Mm -hmm. It was not the case for a lot of women. I think, I mean, there's the dying part that's tough, like where where your bone's going to shuffle off this mortal coil. But I think the thing that Mrs. Bennett is so right and correct to fear is this like immediate move from comfortable middle class to total poverty. Yeah. And, like, the reality is, is, like, she's always in that state of total poverty. She's just kind of essentially relying on the kindness of a stranger because her husband doesn't seem particularly invested in their relationship. Yeah. Or knowing her or his children. And it makes me think about how, like, property and a home have this deeper meaning in our lives as, like, like a house, as, like, a home. And I wonder if that feeling, like, what that feeling was like during a time period when it was so vaporous. Yeah, especially for women. But, like, the thing about this is, too, like, if this were a story about five boys, 
Only one of them would get to keep the house, and it would be the firstborn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the rest would have to, like, figure out how to... One would have to become a priest. Mm-hmm. One would have to be for- shuffled into the military and make his own way. Yeah. God forbid you had more than that. But at least they have, like, outlets. I guess any one of the Bennett sisters could become a nun. Although, remember when Jane Eyre's stepsister wanted... Or cousin wanted to do that, and that was quite... <laughs> that wasn't quite the easy road, the easy solution I always understood it to mm-hmm. be. I, yeah, and I, I even like the fact of like having a housekeeper, like it really kind of enhanced like this middle class or like what I I know technically middle class didn't exist, but this kind of country gentlemen rather than like yeah yeah. like they're not part of the ton the girls don't have like they don't do a coming out in front of the queen like they're solidly lower gentry whatever the fuck that means yeah but like this like lower gentry experience where it's almost like living i would imagine it would be similar to like living in a hotel like an (laughs) eloisian But it's like a hotel that like you birthed your children in and like you know every like you like the maids and the housekeeper like live there and it's like all that stuff is hers. I think excuse me. I think that's also what's crazy about it too, because as she was like cataloging and thinking about Charlotte like superseding her in this house, it's not just the house itself, like the rooms, it's also like all of the furniture and the dishes. Like that stuff's part of the house and in in some cases was often entailed especially the furniture so it's like she doesn't even get to leave with her own stuff it's like her clothes yeah it's all of it right and since it's a working farm that's also all of the animals and stuff yeah don't get too attached to any of the geese although i think she would survive most of the farm animals yeah i don't think she's like invested (laughs) in the working aspects of longborn house (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's just kind of, uh, it's an existence that, like, we're not so far removed from, but it feels like Mm -hmm. the the house part of it, the property, it feels like a million years ago. Mm -hmm. Anything else about Chapter 23? Mr. Bennett's just going to keep Mr. Benneting. Certainly. He does seem, like, slightly more ridiculous now. Yeah. His, like, obsession with, like, sensible women. Yeah. Especially, like, he's like, well, I'm glad I don't have to think about Charlotte as a sensible woman because I can only think of one of them and it's Lizzie. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) Lizzie's the best. She not like other girls. (sighs) Per her father. All right, anyways, loosen your prejudices. Maybe not your prides this time. Not your prides this time. Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. 
If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.